Hello everyone, welcome to episode 708 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. This season we're chatting with the Cold Wave 7 performers, starting on the East Coast in New York City September 13th through 15th, Chicago September 21st through 23rd, and finishing on the West Coast in Los Angeles September 27th through 29th. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links, which include pre-shows, post-shows, and extremely limited VIP packages. This week, we're chatting with Chicago and Los Angeles performer Reese Fulber. Temporary 
you've been putting out music for a while, but this is the first thing that you've done under your own name. So tell me about putting this together and why you decided the time was right, just to call that Reese Fulber. For starters, getting involved with Sonic Groove and more of a techno label sort of happened kind of by accident in a weird way. I mean, I have friends that are in that scene and I had been working on just some jams. I was jamming with some of my modular gear, really just jamming and having fun in my studio. And I played it for a friend of mine who then played it for Adam X, who runs Sonic Groove. And, and Adam was like, hey, what's that? I like that. I'd like to put that out. And then he found out, you know, it was me and he knew my stuff from Frontline. And, and that's just sort of happened kind of pretty organically. So that just sort of developed into me just jamming and messing around. And then suddenly it sort of fell into an outlet. I use my own name because it's just me. You know, I'm doing it on my own. Conjure One, you know, I'm working with other people. I have other vocalists. I have other musicians come in. So it's a project, you know, it's it's not just me by myself necessarily. People, I mean, some of the songs are, but in general, the project usually has other elements from other people. So having a name for it is sort of more appropriate. Whereas this stuff was literally just me initially just messing around in the studio. So I just thought I might as, you know, using my own name for the first time, just it just felt appropriate. It felt like the right time. I have an album coming out in June on Sonic Groove. It's called Your Dystopia, My Utopia is the album. And it's uh, very much a continuation of realism. I think it's better. It's sort of like a dystopian. We call I call it future EBM. My friend coined that phrase. I like it. It's sort of like a futuristic dy dystopian techno not as Spartan as a lot of the other stuff. It's still, it, I, I still feel it's, you know, my style and, and I'm, I'm very pleased with it. It's uh, very satisfying that, to make that record. I can admit to you that I don't, I don't know a single thing about modular synths, but I know that a, a lot of the people that listen to the show are into it. So do you want to talk about, you know, the gear that you're using for this album? Modular synthesizers have become very, very popular lately. Um, I'd say the last three, four years, it's like this whole world has exploded. I guess for people that aren't knowledgeable of that type of thing, it's sort of in a way like chaining a bunch of guitar pedals together. It's like breaking a synthesizer into its elements. Like each element of a signal path of a synthesizer is separated into its individual modules and you can connect them either traditionally or untraditionally and get you know, a pretty big variety of sounds. They used to be sort of the realm of the elite, you know what I mean? Like in the 70s, and, and it was like, you know, Tangerine Dream and Keith Emerson and Hans Zimmer and modular synthesizers used to be a rarefied air of the big boys, you know? And then about 20 years ago, they started making more affordable systems, which is when I kind of got into it. For a long time, no one really cared. I, I mean, I've been using them for since the 90s, and people used to always be like, what the hell are you doing? But now it's like, I call it the um, the modern renaissance man's acoustic guitar because they seem to be really popular now. So it's nice to get out of the computer and feel like you're doing something more tangible than just um, rearranging ones and zeros, you know. And I feel it's a more musical process. I, I, I like it. I enjoy it. It seems like one of those hobbies that could just encompass your life if you get really into it. Absolutely. And I often tell people, I say, you know, you really don't need that much equipment. <laughs> I, 
think it's kind of gone the other way. Now I find like people buy so much equipment. I've actually called mo- the, the, the new world of modular synthesizers is like this pinnacle of hyper capitalism. <laughs> and it's like people just keep buying more and more stuff. They probably don't really need if you think about it, you know, so <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know.
I really have been waiting for the follow-up from Echogenetic. We're almost finished. We're doing it right now. It's a, it's, I, I'm really pleased with this record. It's the first time I've fully worked on a Frontline record in a little while. I, I really, I think it's a good record. It's, it's got a lot of surprises on it. It's got some guest vocalists on it. It's not like Echogenetic. It's, it's a different record. It has elements of some of the old style, but at the same time, it's completely new. It's probably not going to come out until September. I will say it's got amazing Dave McKean artwork. It's got all the hallmarks of a classic Frontline Assembly record. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm really pleased. Bill's vocals are great. It's, it's, I, think, I think it's got everything you would want out of a Frontline record. We have, we have some guests on it that I think are unexpected, and it adds a lot of variety. And it's, there's a lot of new stuff for Frontline Assembly on the record, but at the same time, it sounds like Frontline. So I think... I can't tell, you know, I, I, re- I really don't know. You don't know what people are going to think, but I, I think it's a great record. I'm really pleased with it. Not that you don't have enough going on, but besides that, you know, you have your other projects too. Are, are you working on any of your other releases also? Well, right now, my hands are pretty much full with Frontline and my solo material. So that's pretty much occupying most of my time right now and, and getting ready for another European tour in August. And I'm also going to be peppering in some solo dates as well, which is um, a a completely different thing to Frontline. I I think if you like Frontline, you you probably, it's it's not a million miles away, but at the same time, the whole um, delivery method is, is different. It's more live improvisational electronic music, I guess you could call it. One other thing that I wanted to, to talk to you while I had you is I wanted to talk about the Delirium song Silence. You know, just starting off on working on that song and having Sarah McLaughlin to five years later, even after it comes out, it hits, you know, number one on the Billboard charts and it's considered the greatest trance song of all time and things like that. So just just take me through, you know, the beginning to, to looking back on it now, because it's been 15 years now. It's actually probably been more than that. It's probably been closer to 20 years since we recorded that. Because if I remember correctly, I think we recorded it in about 1998, because I remember the equipment I was using. So it was a while ago. It was a weird record because it almost never happened. We had the song. You know, Sarah was getting popular, but she hadn't gotten huge. She was on the precipice. We're all on the same label with Network. You know, we're working on the Karma album. And, you know, we had most of the record pretty much done. And we were in the studio mixing and we had been kind of going back and forth about possibly getting her to do a vocal on the song. And it, it didn't look like it was going to happen. It was like, she's not really feeling anything off the song. She can't get an idea. And then, so it was almost like it wasn't going to happen. So we were about to finish the song as an instrumental. We're just like, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll just keep rolling. We're in the studio. We're doing the record. We're like, we were mixing in the studio. And then she just showed up and said, oh, okay, I got some. And then it was just an album track. And we put out the Karma album, and, and it wasn't the lead single. The lead single was the Euphoria song. Somewhere along the line, someone at Network got a progressive house mix of the song by these guys in Florida called Fade, and it just started taking off. It just started getting a lot of, just a lot of people started picking up on it and playing the track. And then it sort of started having a life of its own. And I'm trying to remember what the order was. That might have been around the same time, you know, Tiesto was just 
bubbling up. He was also with Network or within that world anyway. When he did that remix, it was like two things happened at once. They licensed the movie to be used in a film called Broke Down Palace, and it was like the lead-off track in the movie. And that was around the same time the Tiesto mix came out, and then it just took off, and it just sort of had a life of its own. It was, it, it was weird. The whole thing was really surreal. The, the, the Broke Down Palace thing I actually found the most satisfying because it was our version of the song, you know, so it was kind of cool to see it presented in that context. And, you know, because the remixes are a little different because you're a little more disconnected from it because it's a different interpretation of the song. You know, the remix thing just, I, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It just suddenly got picked up by a lot of people. And, you know, big DJs like Paul Oakenfold started playing it. And then, then they got another remix, like a really commercial kind of transmix by Airscape in Belgium. And, and then that got picked up on BBC Radio 1. And it was just... It was just one of those weird things. You know, I've been on a couple records. You know, I did a Fear Factory record that started taking off as well. And it's just this weird combination of events. Like, all the stars have to align. You can't even plan it. Like, none of silence was planned. None of that was planned. It all just happened. You know, you can't plan those things. Like, I've been on records where the record company says, hey, we need a hit. We need a single it never happens that way. It has to happen organically. And that's what happened with silence. It was just like one thing led to another. It was like a chain reaction. I don't even know how to describe it. It was like an out of body experience. And I'm like living in Europe and I'm walking around and I'm hearing this song playing out of every other shop. And it's just like, it's so weird. I, I think because it was remixes, you felt a little disconnected from it. You know, we were supposed to do top of the pops. <laughs> but see, by the time the song started getting really popular sarah was huge and so she had her own thing going on so we couldn't really coordinate much you know so when the song started like racing up the charts in the uk we got asked to do top of the pops and and she couldn't make it happen and yeah that's the one thing me and bill always joke about it's like oh man we could have been on top of the pops <laughs> so we could have been lip syncing on top of the pops oh bummer and I, I really felt at that time in dance music, dance music still was turning into what it is now. It was, it was just when dance music started hitting really a broader mainstream. I mean, you, you had dance hits before in the 90s and stuff, but this was more of like a complete movement getting bigger. And at that time, I feel like there still wasn't a lot of club records with really great vocals. I mean, there were some, but there weren't a lot, you know, so you get a great club, uh, you know, a great club mix with a really, you know, great vocal on it. People just picked up on it right away. And it just, it just became, I mean, it's still, still going, you know, it's still played by people and there's still remixes of it. I just did a remix of it for a project cars video game, you know, in a different style. It's like, it's just one of those things. It just keeps going. I don't want to sound arrogant by calling it a hit song, but I guess it's a hit song. And, and, and you know, hit songs kind of, you know, they, they linger around for a long time. They become part of a time and then they keep morphing into a different time. And we're just lucky. You know, it just was one of those things. It was completely unplanned. There's no recipe for stuff like that. It's just a combination of luck and timing. And that was pretty much it. It was just, um, it continues to be a surreal experience. Put it that way.
On this episode, you heard Cognitivia, Creosote, and The Sick. Reese Fulber can be found at facebook.com slash Music. Our opening music is Madmaker by Accumination. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Leslie Rankin from Ruby. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, fallen Chicago musician, and sound man Jamie Duffy. Here's Jamie's bandmate, Elliot Engelman, sharing his memories of Jamie from the first Cold Waves. Jamie was always, you know, he knew people and he, he brought people together. Um, you know, I'd, I would tag along with him lots of times, you know, to whatever bar, club, and he'd, like, he'd introduce me, hey, it's my bass player, you know, and... and you know, through him, I met so many people within, you know, this community, within the Chicago music community, um, you know, different bars, different venues, different clubs, and a lot of the people are, you know, if they're not taking part in the show, they're going to be in attendance at, at this show. So it's, 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 it's really a special thing.